Well, good morning. Uh, so right now, I am winning a bet. Uh, my daughter, Nora, got this mask for me at her school's like little Santa workshop this last week. And she said, Daddy, I bet that you won't wear that on Sunday morning. I'm like, I bet that I will. And she said, if you do, I'll give you a bowl of ice cream. And so I just got a bowl of ice cream. All right, I'm going to go ahead and take this off now. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be thinking of you all as I get to enjoy that later on today. It's good to be here with you. I'm excited about the morning uh, that, we, that we have planned to see hundreds of kids that are going to be up here. And, and what I love about it is that it, it's so core to one of our values as a church. We mentor across generations. Like that is who we are. We want to do whatever it takes to make sure that the next generation coming up behind us can know, love, and follow Jesus. Like we are willing to sacrifice whatever to be able to see them grow in their faith. And I love every single year we kind of carve this aside and allow our, our kids to preach the gospel to us uh, through, through this performance. And so I'm looking forward to what's going to happen here on the stage here in uh, just a, a little bit. Uh, but before we kind of dive in, uh, you know, yesterday, Friday night, yesterday, there were uh, some horrific storms that blew through uh, southwestern Kentucky. The death toll just continues to, to rise. Uh, I have an older half-brother that was actually here just a few weeks ago for our girls' baptism. Uh, his business, where he works, was, was leveled the town. They live in a little town uh, just outside of, of Mayfield, Kentucky. And I know many of you maybe have some family or some friends that were impacted by this. And so I just want to give us a little bit of time to, to pray just for those who are, are going to the scene now, the rescue workers, those uh, who, uh, were, whose lives were affected by this, and then we will we'll dive into God's word together. Father, when uh, tragedies like what happened uh, in Kentucky and, and elsewhere uh, Friday night and yesterday morning happen, it just reminds us the brevity of life. It uh, reminds us how quickly everything can change. And it also serves as a reminder for us to not put hope in things that are temporary, but to really put our hope in the eternal, to put our hope in you. And so, Father, I pray that for the families whose lives were affected, that, God, you will use this uh, tragedy to, to help them grow closer to you. Uh, may the church across the, the nation rise up to come uh, to the aid of those who were effective. And thank you for the, the people who are following you to that place even right now. And we pray that you will use their efforts to help bring healing and restoration, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, a while back, I was driving uh, with a buddy of mine, and we were going from, from Indianapolis down to, to Owensboro, Kentucky, where we lived, and his father-in-law was, was with us in the back seat. And we were, we had, you know, quite a bit of a drive, and so we were listening to some music while we were talking, and, and his father-in-law is a huge classic rock fan. Like, he knows every song, every artist, he knows when it was released, and, and he was having a lot of fun kind of grilling us on if we knew the song, if we knew who sang it. And, and we knew some of them, you know, when it would pop up, but there were a lot of them that, that we didn't. <clears throat> and it was actually getting kind of embarrassing um, how little we, we knew. And so Sonny was kind of schooling us that day. Well, about halfway home, 
uh, I remembered that I had just downloaded an app on my phone that, that listens to a song, and then after a little bit, it will pop up and it'll tell you the name of the song, who sang it, it'll tell you all of the information about it. And so I was driving, so I kind of grabbed my phone and, and opened up the app and discreetly passed it over to my, my friend Brent sitting in the passenger seat, and he looked down, and so the next song came up and he had it, and, and his father-in-law said, oh, do you guys know what this one is? Do you know what this is? And we're sitting here thinking, oh, what? let's see, I, I, I think I remember, I think I remember. And then when the song would pop up, we'd go, oh yeah, that is such and such by so-and-so. And the rest of the trip, we nailed every single one of them. And he was so confused what happened. <laughs> and so we get to the end of the trip. We drop him off. We're like, hey, Sonny, we just want to let you know um, this is what we, we did. And he didn't appreciate the trick nearly as much as we <laughs> appreciated the, the trick. Uh, his knowledge really was uh, pretty impressive. You know what? What's amazing is just how the, the access to information has changed over the last 25 years, 30 years. We have so much access to information now that is at our fingertips. I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend whose parents bought a, an, an Encyclopedia Britannica, like the entire library. It probably cost as much as a new car did then. <clears throat> and I remember being able to go over to their house and, and, and like, being, like opening up the books to be able to research for, for a paper instead of having to do it at school. And, and now... Like all of that information is packed into our devices. It's, it's literally at our, our fingertips. That's why the phrase Google it is one of the first things that people say when someone asks them a question or when they have a question. You say, I'm just going to go and Google it. In fact, I, I find it interesting. Uh, I, I heard recently that for IT directors, the first two pieces of advice that they give people when they're having a problem, number one is, did you turn it off and turn it back on? Because <laughs> that oftentimes works. But number two is, did you Google it? <laughs> did, did you try to see if others had that problem that maybe you, know, you, can, you can do a simple, simple fix on it? We, we have this access to an abundant amount of information. But I think that we would all agree that in a world filled with information, man, we need more wisdom. In a world that is filled with information at our fingertips, we need more wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to sort through all the information that we have and, and not only know what's right, but do what's right. Say what's right. Wisdom is not only the ability to, to discern between truth and lies, but discern between truth and half-truths. Wisdom is staying calm when anger will only pour gasoline on the fire. It's the ability to pause, take a deep breath and gather yourself instead of lashing out at the person who's maybe coming at you. Wisdom is the ability to not say what you really want to say because you know it's not the right time or it's not the right place or it's not the right thing to say. Wisdom is accepting, accepting responsibility for your actions instead of always blaming others. Wisdom is definitely about knowledge, but it is more than that. We've, we've, we've probably all seen, I know I have, seen plenty of smart people that I wouldn't necessarily consider wise. 
And I've known a lot of wise people that didn't have the education of others, but they had the kind of intellect that just allowed them to be really good in life, really good with people, really good in relationships. That's wisdom. Wisdom is practical. It's common sense that helps us navigate through life. We can probably all think of a time (laughs) that we wish that we could do over. A time when wisdom would have gone a long way. Little wisdom would have saved us a lot of pain and heartache. I think that we all desire to have more wisdom to know what to do and what not to do. Wisdom to control our emotions and reactions. Wisdom in our marriages or in our singleness. Wisdom in raising our kids or how to navigate difficult situations with your adult children, which I've talked to plenty of people that said, that's a whole lot harder than raising twos and threes year olds. (laughs) How do I raise and continue to invest and pour in and and guide and shape the life of my adult child? (laughs) Imagine all of us in here would say that we desire more wisdom in how we live and how we treat others. And the good news for us today is that God tells us where we can find wisdom. It's our core verse for this week. It's Proverbs 1, verse 7. Look at how it starts. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's saying that, that wisdom is found in the Lord. God is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. It is rooted and grounded and and flows out of him and into our lives. God used wisdom to to create the world around us. Proverbs 3.19 says that God used wisdom to lay the foundation of the earth. His wisdom is what brought order to chaos and life to every living thing. And so through creation, we see God's wisdom at work, and it, is, and it is beautiful and artistic and creative in every way. It is good. God used wisdom to teach us how to live and how to treat others, how to worship and, and serve him. God is the source of all wisdom, and throughout the Bible, we read that, that God does not hold back his generosity or his, his gen, uh, wisdom. <laughs> he generously gives it to us. He pours it out upon us when we ask for it. But Proverbs 1.7 says that wisdom is not just found in the Lord. Did you see what it says? It's found in the fear of the Lord. What's that mean? Without a doubt, one of the uh, coolest summer jobs that I had in, in college was working for an auction company that sold construction equipment. Now, before you start imagining what it would be like for me to call an auction, uh, that was not my job. I got to work out on the yard, which was way, way better. Uh, All of these machines were brought in to the lot to be auctioned off on on sale day. And and my job was to help get all of them lined up. The company I worked for, they like to have nice, straight, tight aisles and every single machine sitting at a 45 degree angle so that on sale day, everything uh, looked really good and and clean. And so that means that, that I got to, over the course of that summer, drive all of these huge pieces of construction equipment, things like backhoes and excavators and loaders and bulldozers. It was absolutely a blast. I, I loved it. 
But my favorite piece of equipment to drive uh, was, was an articulated dump truck. I think we got a, a picture of it on the screen. Oh, yeah. That thing was absolutely incredible. And I was super intimidated the first time that I drove one. Walking up to it, I was looking up to the top of the tires. Like, they were way taller than, than I was I remember climbing onto the machine and opening up the door and sitting in the seat and turning it on and feeling it rumble underneath me, feeling when, the, when, when everything and all the hydraulics are full and, and the air is in, the, the articulated dump truck kind of goes up like this and it's ready to drive, feeling the power of the hydraulic steering where with just a little bit of a turn, it would go where you wanted it to, to go. And feeling this massive machine gave me this sense of awe and respect for its, its power. And man, it was so much fun <laughs> to drive. And what started as a little bit of fear and a whole lot of respect for its power led me just to be amazed at how it worked and how it moved. I think that's an imperfect illustration of what it means to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is both a shrinking back, like, whoa, and a drawing close in awe. It's this moment that takes your breath away and yet at the same time gives you air to breathe. It gives you life. It's a sense of fear and yet drawing close in awe. It's not this trembling dread that paralyzes us, but it's also more than just polite respect. It's this reverence blended with both love and hope that leads us to submit and to surrender to the Lord's will. And the book of Proverbs and really the entire Bible tells us that this is the foundation of wisdom in our life. That when we get to a place of reverence and awe and surrender to the Lord, we are able to experience his wisdom working in our life. And so very practically speaking, how that works in, in my life is, is a few different ways. Things that I've found to be really helpful in, in fearing the Lord to, to let that be the beginning of his wisdom working in me. When I come upon a situation that I'm not sure where to go or what to do, if I feel myself wanting to react in emotion, just take a deep breath. I simply pray, Lord, give me wisdom and direction. God, give me wisdom. And I trust in the promise of James 1 that God will pour out his wisdom generously on all who ask without finding fault. And sometimes I seek answers in scripture. Where can I find how to respond in a situation like this? The Bible's filled with wisdom, especially the book of Proverbs. I've also found that sometimes the wisest thing that I can do is simply just pray, God, I surrender everything and everyone to you. <laughs> Actually, I have a little reminder on my phone that goes off a couple of times a day just to kind of stop for one minute and pray that prayer. God, I give everything and everyone to you. And it's just re this reminder that I'm not in control. And I need that reminder because there's something in me that wants to be in control. My guess is that there's probably something inside of you that wants to be in control. 
And wisdom is pausing to say, God, it's not me, it's you. And so I submit and I surrender and I trust in you. And wisdom is getting up and walking in that trust, knowing that God will work all things out to his good. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord, a reverence for him that leads to surrender and trust. But scripture is also clear that not everyone will walk this path of wisdom. Look at our core verse again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but here's the contrast, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is filled with contrast between the wise and the fool. And oftentimes the difference comes down to how that person handles correction. Do they have a humble and contrite spirit? Or are they proud and defensive and defiant? Feeling like they have to fight for their rights or for their own protection. Proverbs 9, 7 through 9 puts it like this. Whoever corrects a mocker, which is another word for fool, invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Proverbs 12.1 says it just a little bit more bluntly. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> and that's not even like the message paraphrase. Like that's what's actually in the, the Hebrew text. <laughs> It's a word used to describe a stubborn animal that wouldn't do what it's supposed to do or go where it's supposed to go. And that's what we're like when we refuse to surrender to the Lord and follow his ways in our life. We are stubborn and we just keep running into the same issue over and over and over. When we choose to ignore the path of grace and humility, instead walk the dead end of pride and arrogance. It can be said that wisdom is knowing that there is a God and that you're not him. And then the added step of surrendering and submitting to the one who, who is, who created you with all the wisdom of creation and wants to give it to you generously. And so how do you know if you're walking in wisdom or if you're walking the path of a fool? Well, again, I think it usually is best seen in how a person handles correction. How do you handle it when someone approaches you with, with maybe some, some feedback, <laughs> Even if it's not constructive, maybe it's just flat out criticism. How do you respond when there's tension in a relationship and you know that it's there? It is that elephant in the room every time you see that person. What do you do with it? How you respond and how you react often helps you know, am I acting as a wise person or am I acting as a fool. And so how do you respond when you're confronted with an issue that you caused or when you receive feedback? How do you act when someone tells you about the way that you hurt them? When the wise person is confronted with truth, they take it in and they make necessary adjustments. 
They try to reconcile the relationship that they've harmed. They take responsibility for their their actions. They handle it with maturity and they grow from it. When you confront a wise person, what we see is that they are grateful for it. And usually the, the, the relationship grows. It is stronger on the other side because of their response and because of your maturity to go and talk to that person. Wise people are grateful for feedback, even if it's tough to hear. And listen, even when it's not fully accurate, there have been plenty of times when, when I have had someone just tear me up and down over a decision that was made, something that we did, something that I did. And, and while they're doing that, I just have to look and say to myself, you don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole story. And wisdom is the ability to not react, not to match their anger, but to just have peace in the Lord, knowing that ultimately truth prevails and knowing that I don't have to respond to how they are reacting to me. I'm in control of my own actions, not theirs. And so there are times where you may be confronted with something that's not accurate, but you're able to sort through it and maybe find the truth that will make you and the relationship better. Wise people empathize with how their actions may have had, uh, made other people feel. They don't allow problems to become patterns and they seek to give honor and glory to God and how they live and how they serve others. And I imagine that there are times and relationships in your life that you can look at and say that you've acted with wisdom. I imagine that you can also probably think of people in your life who you would consider to be very wise in how they act. Conversely, when a fool is confronted with truth, they try to adjust it so that they don't have to adjust to it. In other words, they blame others. Instead of owning up to their actions, they spend a lot of time and energy telling their side of the story and pushing responsibility onto others. They avoid any self-reflection and they demand of others what they are unwilling to do of themselves. In a fool's mind, they are never wrong. They have a way of making everyone else around them feel like they are the crazy one and, and, and shift the conversation to make you the object of their correction, to make you the one that needs to change. A fool see themselves as the victim and they see the people who confront them, no matter how lovingly and how graciously they see them as their persecutors for pointing out a problem. Fools often feel like they have the moral superiority and they're the victim and they try to surround themselves with people who will agree with them and give them sympathy and compassion because of how they've been mistreated in their minds. And just like we can all think of wise people in our life, I'm sure that we can also think of some fools too, or people who sometimes exhibit the behavior of a fool. (laughs) And sometimes that person looks right back at us in the mirror. You know, when I think about my own life, I can point to times when I've walked in wisdom and times when I have been the fool times when I got defensive instead of being humble, times when I shifted blame instead of accepting responsibilities. We've all been there. Instead of fearing the Lord, we fear what others might think about us. 
we fear if they would really love us if we owned responsibility for what we've done. We, we fear that feeling of humbling ourselves and, and admitting our wrongs and wondering, will they do the same? And we, we create all of these expectations that keep us from walking in the way of wisdom. We've all walked the foolish path from time to time and added to the pain and brokenness in our world and in the lives of others. But praise be to God that in his abundant wisdom, he made a way for us to be forgiven. He made a way for us to not just be reconciled with him, but to be reconciled with one another. We don't have to live in fear of how others might think of us or that we have to be perfect all the time. We get to live in the freedom of grace, knowing that we're not perfect, embracing our weaknesses, embracing our mistakes, knowing that we have been forgiven and that we have been loved by the Father and that we are not defined by our victories or by our failures. We are defined by the blood of Jesus that lives on us and we have confidence in him and him alone that our value and our worth is not in always getting it right, but in Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of God's perfect wisdom and he showed us how to live and how to walk down the right path. And ultimately Jesus went to the cross to bear the burden of our foolishness. And the wisest thing that we can do now is to surrender to him, to fall at his feet on grace and on forgiveness. The wisdom of the world says to go your own way, to do your own thing, to look out for yourself and to protect yourself. The world looks at humility and surrender as weakness, but God says, nope, nope. That is the beginning of wisdom. That if you want to live a wise life, it starts there. It starts by humbling yourself and following the author of all wisdom. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, the ultimate symbol of humility and surrender. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness that a baby would be born as a king and not be celebrated. That a king would live and die unceremoniously. That, that in order to find your life, you must lose it. It is foolishness to believe what we believe. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So surrender to him out of reverence and all, and you will find the wisdom that you desire and that God desires for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your wisdom that is seen in creation all around us, that is seen in our life, that is seen in the way that you love us and you care for us. And Lord, there are many times when we walk the path of a fool, when we add to the brokenness and pain in our world and the lives of others. Father, I pray that you will give us the grace and the humility to even even in those moments when we have acted foolishly to now, to now in this moment, maybe even today, act wisely and do what is right. Act and, and walk in humility and grace and in love that Jesus modeled for us, the true wisdom of walking with you. And thank you for the grace that when we fall and when we are foolish, Lord, your love for us does not change. Our value and our identity and our worth is not rooted on getting it right. It is rooted on the cornerstone of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who saves. And so we trust in him, Lord, 
we ask that you'll help us to walk wisely. In Jesus' name, Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.